Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a comedian with a stand-up special, Disingenuous. It's available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and selected vaccine microchips. We welcome comedian <laughs> Nick Vanderhoff. Hey, you know, I, a lot of people want to do, uh, you know, comedy specials, and I think I might want to do a dramatic special next, you know, just to com- stand up, some do some stand-up dramedy. Just get up for an hour. What would be in a great dramedy special? Oh, boy. Just um, <laughs> just a lot of premises with no punchlines. Telling people what the problems are and having no real solution, even an exaggerated hyperbolic one. <laughs> so live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called the news. <laughs> Nick, let's go be on the mic. Growing up in St. Louis, how did those early days prepare you for your career in comedy? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, the thing I liked the most about St. Louis was the people. Uh, I think that prepared me the most, you know, friends I had that were always goofing around. You know, Seinfeld always said the funniest people he knew were his friends growing up. And I think that's uh, that's sort of true. A bunch of guys that were always like, you should do comedy one day. You know, you should do stand up, which was always funny when I eventually did do stand up. And then the audience was like, uh, don't what are you doing? Don't be up there. And I was like, this was never my idea. <laughs> I'm just going off of what my friends told me forever to do. But uh, I think their encouragement was the, the biggest influence on that. What was the best thing about college at Mizzou? <laughs> Hanging out, man. 1609 Wilson, East Campus. I really enjoyed the uh, outside part of uh, school, the non-school part. But I will say, you know, I always say that, like, you go to college to figure out what you want to do with your life. And I was doing terrible with all the school academic stuff. But I did improv for the first time with Comedy Wars on campus. I wrote, while I was failing out of the journalism class, I was writing an opinion column called My Humble Opinion uh, for the Maneater newspaper. And so doing these types of things, I think, really sort of uh, helped push me towards what I enjoy doing in life. So when your academic counselor told you, you need to try something different from college, what did you first think? Was it like... Bingo! Or, uh, thanks. It was so funny. Yeah, you know, I went in and, and, and talked to her, and she was like, why are you here? And it was so funny to, like, go so, somewhere. It was like going to a doctor and the doctor being like, listen, don't, why are you trying to be healthier? I don't, uh, what do you, where do you think this is going? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and so... You know, I, I kind of like made fun of her a lot at the time because I thought that was the opposite of what an academic advisor is supposed to do to sort of like make fun of me for trying to go to college. But I mean, I think she was right. What I wanted to do was not there. It was outside of that. I don't even know if she really realized that's what she was saying. I was sort of like, like, because to do comedy is such a uh, crazy thing. You, you don't even know how to do it or how you go about doing it or if you really can do it. It's what I kind of always wanted to do. And I think going to college, I was maybe either kidding myself. I was going to be a geologist or take one of these other classes, you know, astrophysicist and to be like, yeah, why am I here? You know, and going back to the previous thing, there's these other things that I enjoy doing more. I should try to. And Second City came through uh, Columbia when I was there. And I was like, wait, this is a thing? You can do this? Oh, okay. Well, let me sign up for that school. Wow. So are you still paying off your college student loans? Ha ha ha. 
Sadly, when I got my half hour special for Comedy Central, I used that to pay off my loans, which is such a bummer because like all those loans are is just a piece of mail that you get every few weeks. And then I got the special. And the only thing that changed was I stopped getting that piece of mail every few weeks. <laughs> and it was not you can't like it's not something you can drive around or wear around your neck. You know, just a little less. <laughs> I paid off my student loans. You should applaud me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one's like lower than their sunglasses when I walk by going, who's that with no debt? <laughs> you won the 2011 Andy Kaufman Award. Yeah. Andy saw the box that everyone has the world in completely differently. Right. How do you see Andy Kaufman different than everybody else? I, I the way I think I differentiate is that I do think a lot of people think that he was uh, like a hundred percent anti comedy. You know, and, and the story I like to tell, uh, looking up so much about him. Is that like okay, like the one thing they always quote is when he would read Great Gatsby in front of an audience and they and like I even see other comics would do this sometimes. They'd be like, Yeah, he just hated the audience so much he would just read the great Gatsby until they all left. It's awesome. And it's like, yeah, I guess he did that in Man on the Moon, but like the there's a bit you can find online and it's some some talk show he's on, and he does the whole bit, and the whole bit's like eight, nine minutes long. And and there's a there's a setup and punchline to it. There is like a math to it. There is a payoff. I think you even if you do like an anti-comedy thing, there still needs to be a payoff. I sort of gets under my skin like a lack of a payoff is the payoff. And he would do a thing where he would read it and the and the audience would get mad and he'd be like, I'm starting to think you guys don't want me to read this. And they start clapping and they go, you know what? If you guys keep this up, I'm just going to play this record over here. They plot it anymore. He's like, wait, would you, what do you want me to read or play the record? They're like record. He's like, all right. So he plays the record and the record is him reading the great Gatsby. And it's so funny. And it's such a great setup and payoff. And the audience just loves it. And I feel like people don't understand that he was still doing jokes. There was still a math behind it. There are certain comedians like Stephen Wright. If you don't understand him, you won't see the comedic genius that's in a joke like my favorite i stuck my car key in my apartment and it started riding up so i drove it around for a while <laughs> it's one of the greatest jokes that he's ever told with such perfect deadpan yeah. and people are like is he serious <laughs> there's a silliness to it but there's also like you know i'm really into the absurd but there needs to be some sort of connection to the real, you know i mean you know it's so absurd to put your key into the apartment and drive it around, but it connects to the realness of that's what happens to the car. You can't just, it doesn't work, you know, with, uh, if he, if it, you know, was a key to something, you know, the, his storage unit or something and he put it in, you know, so it's, there has to be, what is it that if you drive in at the speed of light and you turn your headlights on, what happens, you know, and like, there's, it's a very funny, absurd, but there's like, it's, there's some smartness to it too. Next time for the Rocky Nate, eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Come on, funny improv man. There is no pressure. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. You started out in St. Louis, have spent time in New York City and LA. Where's home for you? I uh, home home is St. Louis for sure. Um, because that's where family is. Comedic home is Chicago, because that's where I started. That's where I started comedy. That's where I was like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. That's that's when I stopped going to jail and getting arrested and being a complete idiot. And I had a different outlet to put sort of all this like um, energy towards. So 
I'd say it's twofold. Best club you ever did a set at? The best club I've ever done a set at? Um, I mean, Creek and Cave in New York was like sort of the best. I mean, if 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 St. Louis was my home and Chicago is my comedic home, Creek and Cave was like my like sort of stage home where I felt the most comfortable. I could experiment whatever whatever I want on stage, you know, riff, improvise, do try out some stuff I've been working on. That was like sort of uh, sort of the uh, the most. Of fun because and those audiences would like go in just kind of ready for everything which was uh uh very nice what other career would you try if you couldn't do comedy um i would uh if i couldn't i oh i would 100 percent uh professional disc golfer i think that's the life <laughs> what i think um and, and it's so funny i think it's only a career as of this year uh, I just saw a bunch of the guys, they're making like $4 million with like sponsors now. And I tell you what, when I, yeah, when I started playing 20 years ago, I think like the top earner in the world earned like maybe a couponed Outback Steakhouse. I, I, I just got really huge recently. Would you rather have hair or a million dollars? Oh man. Well, you know what? I can make that joke because you were on Zoom. I can, you can see me. I can see you. <laughs> I know mine's grown out today. I feel shaggy today. You know what? I, I, I would. I'm not vain. I, I've, I've, I've come to terms with my re, rip hair a long time ago. Uh, God, God decided to, that life wasn't hard enough for me, so He decided to make it bald. But you know what? You know what I would do? I, I really don't care about hair at all, and I almost would want to say a million dollars. But if I'm gonna be like smart about this, I can always make. You know, I can make a million dollars. I can't. Just make hair. So why not take the hair option and use that in my new modeling career to make a million dollars? He's not only a hair club for med spokesman, he's also <laughs> a client. What do you waste money on? Um, what do I? Oh, I, I waste money on comedy. I, uh, you know, I buy, you know, I was just going through my storage unit the other day. I have taco costumes, lobster costumes. I have all this like... Uh, camera equipment to sh I mean I, I I buy just ridiculous things to shoot videos and do sketches for I have a bag of a hundred babies uh that we did for this sketch or no 30 babies 30 100 babies. that's funny uh, 30 babies um from a sketch uh, uh, where you throw a baby up in the air you know how people throw babies up and then at one time the baby gets stuck so you get a little broomstick and you start poking and all of a sudden 30 babies fall down from above. And that's like a $75 joke, you know, but it was worth it. Uh, so I, I, you know, and I, and it's funny once you do it, you don't throw the babies out, you know, unless you're getting rid of the bathwater. Hey, but, um, but I, <laughs> I still have these 30 babies that I moved to every apartment that I've wasted my money on. Last time you were charged with a crime. Um, I think um, last time I was charged with a crime, there is a, a blur of things that happened before I started doing comedy. And I think it was probably maybe a marijuana or drinking as a minor charge, like in college or something like that. I, do, I did get arrested on 1999, New Year's Eve 1999, for partying like it was 1999. Wow. Which shouldn't be a crime. It should be a, should be a song. What do you find yourself shopping for more today? Oh, groceries. I think I'm, uh, I'm really into groceries now. I started collecting them. What I'll do is I'll keep them in the bottom of my fridge till they rot, then throw them out. 
then yeah, then you that, go collect some more. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's just, it's a never ending hobby. Who gave you your first car, and what do you remember of it? Oh, um, nobody gave me anything. I bought a I bought a 1970 Volkswagen bus. I wrote a book about it. I went out all the way to uh, I was in Columbia, Missouri. Went all the way out to Venita, Oregon, right outside of Eugene, and I bought a bus I'd never seen before. And never met the guy before and all that stuff. And I drove it all the way back. It broke down twice the whole way back. And then that was the last, that was the first and only car I'd ever bought. And then it, uh, New York City sort of absorbed it. Uh, I got uh, just, it's sort of, that's what that city does. I think I got too many parking tickets in it and I was on the road and I just couldn't get back to fix it. And the, and the tickets were too much to get it out. And, uh, and it was gone. It's time for the back half with comedian Nick Vatteroff beyond the mic. What makes your special disingenuous so genuine um <laughs> well that's what's sort of funny about it you know i i sort of think comedy does so like life's serious you know so then like uh comedy is supposed to you know show like kind of be a mirror image of it being like got stop taking it so seriously but then like comedy gets a little too serious sometimes and sort of like um i, I feel like comedy needs to like not always be so serious all the time but at the same time like what i was saying before about like realness and absurdity and silly like there is some like realness in this you know there is like i'm sort of like being as ridiculous as possible in this sort of like me mockumentary of me running around the city trying to do as many different sets then a sort of surrealness happens where i may or may not uh, experience a multiverse sort of situation but there is like sort of some realness inside of all of these inside of it it's sort of like tent poles it as is it's not complete uh, uh unconnectable lunacy um so that would be if there is anything genuine in it that would, would it be would it be who's your favorite comedian who makes you laugh i mean brian regan makes me laugh like I just laugh so hard at, at, at every special. I laugh out out loud. There's a lot of specials that I sit there and I, I have a smile on my face the whole time and I'll rate it five stars and say that was a great special. But Regan really makes me laugh out loud that I'll have jokes of his in his head. You know, like I'll, he just had a special at Red Rocks. It was a last Netflix special and I'll just walk around going one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. As a, he's got a bit about, because I guess the time around the North Pole, if you walk around in circles around the North Pole, you walk around want to talk to him. <laughs> just, it's so funny to me. And his, he's, he, he kills me. When you're on the road, you get to see other people's acts. You're working yeah. out your own material. And these people help evolve yeah. who you are as a comedian. Who mentored you in comedy? I mean, you know, it's funny. I, 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 uh, and I've never met Regan, but when I listened to his first special where he opens up the special with U2, which is one of his famous jokes, you know, that people have been done since then. It's he gets out of the car at the airport. The cab driver says, have a good flight. And he says, yeah, you too. And it's the funniest joke on the whole album. And I was like, wow, he opens the hour with his best joke instead of saving it for the very end. Yeah, why would you, you need to grab the audience in the very top. What are you saving this, you know, beautiful thing for, for the end? By the end, it's already decided. They, they, they don't like you. They're not going to like you now that you do this thing. You might as well grab them with the funniest joke in the very beginning. And I feel like there was lots of, um, you know, watching 
Andy Kaufman really sort of be like, okay, but how can I, how can I play with the tension of the room? What are other elements outside of laughter that you can play with, with the audience and, 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 and all comedy is tension. The laughter is the release. There's a sense of, uh, whether it be a real or philosophical or a social danger that you're releasing by acknowledging a thing or, you know, or, 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 or pointing out the incongruity of something. And then he would play with this in other ways. And I think like that's, I got a lot of people that I really liked a lot. Steve Martin was very absurd, but he was able to be absurd on a giant, you know, uh, platform that people were still able to connect with. And then outside of that, just, yeah, the, the buddies that I, you know, came up with and the audiences that told me that's not funny, you know, those were all highly influential. So how's your comedy evolved from when you started at Mizzou to now? Um, I think like it's definitely you want to become more of yourself on stage. You know, I think the funniest you are is around your best friend, you know, and because uh, you're just you're not really in your head. You're not thinking you're not feeling you need to present yourself. And I think like the goal is, is to be how you are around like your best friend in front of complete strangers you met a minute ago that you might not even like <laughs> and um and to sort of like sort of i think no matter i don't know I, i've never seen anyone really treat be who they are right off the bat i think i had i found a version of myself that was comfortable and felt safe and then i think uh eventually as i kind of grew into more of a uh a version of myself that's similar to me and that lent itself to improvising now that i'm closer to who i am now i'm sort of me so i'm quote unquote improvising on stage when really i'm just kind of being myself talking and that's something i, I didn't do as much in the beginning if you're enjoying these conversations please check out another beyond the mic episode to find more actors artists and people you need to know we'd also appreciate a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app, Nick, you've been on Conan, Fallon, you've had, you've got your hard six, those six minutes of jokes that you've honed down to just pure perfection. How do you handle the pressure of the stage and touring when something that may have been funny weeks ago now may not be funny or vice versa? Right. I mean, that sort of in some ways is all of it. It's that's almost like a hundred percent of the craft, you know. Like I think coming up with jokes and you know, and all like and tweaking them and, and putting an act together is 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 some of it. And then figuring out why that magic goes away. I think a lot of times you play telephone with a with a joke. I heard this old story once of this uh, Viola, Viola Spolin was this old theater person. Who, she's accredited with starting improv, and like there was an actor who just one night had an amazing night. And then, and then every night after that, he had his worst nights. And he realized that he was trying to recreate that night that it went well instead of what got him to have that night that go well was being in the moment or, or that kind of stuff. I think with comics, with stand-ups, it's a lot of times we're trying to recreate our last time we've told that joke and we forget where we thought of our mindset of when we thought of the joke for the first time, how we told that joke on stage for the first time. And a lot of times I think when a joke stops working, it's because you're re it's because you're trying to, you you're making a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. And to have a joke start working that never did is I wish that was a, a more of a problem uh, because if it, if it doesn't work, usually I've stopped doing it. Sometimes I have a tag. There are these couple like jokes that, 
I never, for some reason, I won't let it die because the joke works and then the tag at the end never does. And then every single time I'll do the tag anyway, because I'm not going to stop doing that joke because most of the joke works. And I think this tag's going to work. Gosh, I have a joke right now. I have a joke right now that I won't let it go. And that is uh, I, I, people from New York make fun of Chicago pizza all the time. And then um, in in the uh, I can't do the whole joke, but it's it's basically Hell, you can do the whole joke. I'm not going to stop a comedian from doing a joke on my show. The, jo- the joke is basically is um, the, the Chicago, the New York people are always like pizza. That ain't Chicago pizza. That ain't pizza. Pizza more more like lasagna, more like big ziti. Which and then joke this. It's like, by the way, those are great. Those are delicious dishes, by the way. I don't think they know how insults work. You know, it's like that's like saying, ah, Bob's dating a model model more like Jennifer Lopez. But I don't even think they don't like the pizza. I think they just don't like that. It's called pizza, you know, but which is weird because they call pizza pie. What do the pie guys think? Are they like, yeah, you call that pie? Where's the tangy apples? You know, where's the, where's the whipped cream? And then this is the line that never works. And it's, uh, where's the flaky crust? Uh, Chicago pizza. Now that's pie. And it never, the whole joke works except for that last line. And it's so funny to me. And I don't know where I lose them. And I'm going to keep doing it until I figure it out. But I don't know. What stresses you out now? I think, I think uh, what stresses me out now is sort of, um, it's so weird. So somebody was talking yesterday about how they had, they'd never heard of Madonna. Okay. And, and that's crazy to me because I don't think there was a more sort of famous human being on the planet than Madonna. It made me think of like, you really need, if you want to have a career, you have to like, you can't rest on anything you've done in the past. Your career is only it's 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 only as good as the next thing that you're about to do and you know i mean madonna could not have done more she could not have done more to make herself relevant and to have a you know to sit and and like it's weird i do think comedians you know i i think about like musicians and 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 musicians have like their heydays and 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 they become bigger and then uh and comedians can sort of have these longer careers you know where if they don't screw it up in their personal life sadly anybody I, I was about to mention probably is not having a great career right now you know but you can be like you know i mean bill burr doesn't seem like he's going anywhere anytime soon i fucking hate that he's the oldest guy i can think of right now uh but you know i mean even like um uh bob newhart was still touring you know in 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 vegas and in, in, in george wallace still is you know in, in vegas all the time and like comedians can kind of like continue a career but you really you can't rest on anything you've ever done and i think sometimes uh i i get stressed out you know like i doing this i did this special because i want to do this special but it's like okay i need to get you know thank you for having me on to you know to talk about this special because i need i need this special to get out there so that i can keep doing stand-up you know so i can keep you know the career going because i i like doing it and it's only it will only go as long as people support me doing it i think that there's anxiety for that nick vadaroff joins us beyond the mic you've acted written produced performed what's the easiest what's the hardest i mean producing is sort of a pain um you know because there's just so much there's so many elements to it i mean it's great when you can perform 
like if you're if you're producing your own, if somebody else was producing my stand-up special, they would have had to, you know, coordinate the entire crew and and get butts in the seats and you know and, and have everything all set up. So the only thing I had to do was worry about the act instead of worrying about a thousand other things. So producing is sort of a, a huge uh, pain. Writing, writing is very uh, fun. Writing um, every week is uh, very challenging, but it's still fun though. I, I kind of think the hardest thing for me at least is acting because like I, what I find with acting is uh, you have, when I write, I can sit in my house and on my sort of time, just kind of be in my world and, and, and write. I don't have... 15 people surrounding, staring at me, waiting for me to come up with the joke. When you're acting, you have all these people staring at you that are need you to do the line the correct way in, in two or three takes. And uh, that's there's a lot of pressure when that's a thing I, not, I don't do all the time. I, I'd say that's the most difficult thing. What makes something funny for you? I mean, uh, it, it's it's unexpected. You know, I mean, I think that's that's the root of all comedy is you have this tension and then you release some sort of unexpected uh, incongruity to the path that it seems it's it's taking. But like, there's so much like derivative right now. There's just so much of the same stuff out there, variations of the same joke. It's almost, I keep calling it comedy karaoke where somebody does a joke and people are like, that sounds fun. I'm going to do that now, you know, or my version of it. I, I just, there's a thing going around now where uh, a guy walks into a door frame and it's like a kid walks in a door frame in the seventies and he just keeps going. And then it, and he walks in the eighties and he kind of looks at the frame nineties. He kind of whines a little bit to that, you know, now, and then it's like, he, he cries and falls down and makes a picture of it. And it was like, it was all right. The first time I saw it, I've seen like 20 different people do that thing. now. <laughs> it's like, what happened? I couldn't imagine going to an open mic and seeing somebody do a joke and everybody else going, that's good. I'm going to do that uh, joke now. So if anybody does anything surprising to me, I, you know, there's, there's, there's jokes like Joe Biden's old and you can do different variations of Joe, Joe Biden's old or, or Trump's stupid variations of Trump's stupid. But if you, if you find like a new, you know, a new hook on something, I'm trying to think of anything I've laughed at in the past 24 hours. But if anything that's a new hook, that's that's it's mining a new sort of trope or something that 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 gets me. I'll come up with a better answer next time. It's like the joke, the aristocrats, the jokes, the funny the first time. But with each variation. Right. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to look back at Nick's social media. My first tweet. I give thanks that I can hit people in the face in a regular basement. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad I reminded you of your first tweet. <laughs> you said that in April of 2009. It was your first tweet. God, I wonder what that means. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I kill me. See, there's something unexpected. I, you know, I thought I would be like a well-tuned. Jo- Here I am talking about how joke structure works and all that kind of stuff. And then that's the first thing I ever say. Hilarious. How has social media helped? And in some cases hurt comedy. Um, the derivativeness is definitely, you know, uh, hurt it. And I think people, 
It's just very, uh, I, there's, it's so attacky now, you know, like the whole thing where there's like, there's just so much strife inside the community. Um, and people hate, you know, people used to hate Dane Cook, which I always thought was like silly because like, he's not a murderer, you know, he's just a guy who you don't, you didn't like his comedy so much. And honestly, the only reason you don't like him is because he got so big. If he was your buddy at an open mic, you wouldn't hate him so much. But now there's just like so much like animosity between people. And uh, I just never remember that being a thing, you know, like we were all doing comedy. I, I don't know. There's just a lot of hate right now, which is, um, I, well, I wish it was just, I wish it was, I'd be open. You can disagree with people and you can have passionate conversations, but just being like, uh, it's just very ugly out there right now. I don't know if that's help. And then helping is, I think there's a lot of people that were able to get, uh, I think I've discovered, you know, uh, comedians through social media that I would not have found out about that I really like their comedy from. So I think that's good. It's time for one big question with Nick Vatteroff, comedian beyond the mic. How hard is it for a comedian now when a joke you've told, killing for years, for some reason now there'd be outrage? I mean, a joke could be a reason for cancellation. I mean, you can't have movies like Airplane and Kentucky Fried Movie. I mean, they couldn't be made today. Uh But in general, for comedy. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I think it depends on what this specific joke is. I would have to, like, you know, I mean, I was never really doing anything that, you know, sort of. It depends because there's a road, you know, I think about like Blazing Saddles and, you know, that's often a a movie cited as one that could never happen today. Blazing Saddles also, it had to happen at that time and it it had to happen at that time. And then everything that's happened after that time happened because that happened at that time. And those things had to happen at that time and, and sort of things like sort of evolve and change, you know, and some things are, it's ridiculous people overreact at some things. And then other things are like, you know, blackface in the twenties where we were like, yeah, this is something that needs to go away. And there's, there's versions of blackface today and there's versions of overreaction today, you know, where it's like, that joke is fine. Now you're, you're just conflating blackface with everything. It's a joke by joke, you know, cause I, I would have to like looking at my act, which I do sometimes I'm like, like, you know, like one thing is like fat jokes. I think I made, I think fat was a punchline to me when I first started out. I don't think it is anymore. I'm okay with that. You know, I think there's like other fodder to go to, but I think it's like, it's, it's hard to talk about it as an absolute because everyone's got two different ideas in their head of what's being talked about. You know, some people are like innocent jokes that don't hurt anybody. Why do they go away? And some people picture... <laughs> just the worst evil thing that you can say. And why can't I uh, say that? Cause I always, you know, I, I always used to kind of tease edgy comedy a little bit coming up, you know, cause as I always thought that edgy was sort of like, you know, sort of a little bit of cover to say some, some stuff because like, I, I hate how jokes get, I hate how jokes get people hide behind jokes where they'll be like, well, I was making a joke, so it's okay that I said that because like I worked with like a lot of racist people and they were always joking when they said their racist thing, you know, like they were never like, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I hate, I hate this type of person. And then they wouldn't laugh afterwards. It was always like, they'd say something racist and then kind of laugh afterwards. And I'd be like, they were joking, but they weren't. Um, and then, uh, and I think I had a joke for a while that I was like, 
you know, making fun of like, and edgy, by the way, edgy comedy is necessary. We need edgy comedy. We need people sort of like pushing the boundaries of everything. And then we can, we need other people pushing back to, so that there's, it's sort of the needle falls in a place. It's sort of like helps us move forward, but not get too censored. You know, we need to be progressive and not be censored at the same time. And, and I, I, I sometimes feel the universe needs two forces pushing each on, on each other for us to find the right spot. But I, I think I made it. So while I support edgy comedy, I also like would kind of tease it being like 1960s Alabama was real edgy. We did a lot of <laughs> edgy stuff back there. Like, ah, I don't I don't think I don't think you can call that edgy. His first car was towed for too many tickets, would rather have hair than a million dollars, and his special, Disingenuous, is available on Amazon Prime. We thank Nick Vatterot for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. This was fun, Sean. I hope I didn't uh, take too much of your time. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. Beyond the Mic.